PD Raw is a podcast sharing the experiences and insights of people with personality disorders or traits by being brave and talking about the things that are shameful and painful. Humans demystify and destigmatize the things that we hide. The aim of this podcast is to let others know that they are not alone. By showing the reality behind our walls, we hope to bring people closer together, connecting in a more open and authentic way. Please be aware that, due to its topic, this podcast is adults only, not safe for work, and may contain triggering content. Howdy there, everyone, our loyal and captive audience. It's Few back here in their alter persona as Anti-Few, here to bring with you another exciting guest. Today, we'll be talking about the intersection of trans identity and NPD. We have our guest, April, who you can follow on Instagram at NPDAPRIL and also on YouTube. Hello. It's good to have you, April. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Uh, great. I mean, I got good company, so what more could I complain about? And <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'm very excited. We've already had a chat off air, and I think we have a lot of things that would be really exciting for an audience to hear about Definitely. What, what's brought you to this podcast, to this space in your life, where you've been before, mm-hmm. uh, some of the things that we discuss in the community on the subreddit and that you yourself also talk about through your music and some of the outreach that you want to start doing on Instagram and YouTube. Yeah. And and so, yeah, I think that's probably the place where we wanted to start it is to talk about community. I mean, that's where we found each other and here we are now. Yeah, actually, I guess I'll I'll start by kind of telling you sort of like where I, where I found this community. I mean, for a long time, I was, you know, struggling because I have NPD and it's not really a very like understood disorder. It's very stigmatized online. So I have a lot of my friends online and I tried, you know, I tried actually making my own like posts on just like my regular Facebook at first, just reaching out for help and like just wasn't going well. How about <laughs> to say that? People not understanding that at all. That sounds a little dicey. And yeah, and it was dicey. Not one of the sexy disorders these days. Borderline, no, definitely not. Borderline seems <laughs> as, um, to be for some reason, but as awful as you can imagine, <laughs> it was that awful. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. So, yeah. So basically, you know, I was like, what what do I do now? You know, like I have my therapist, but like there's nobody that I can really talk to about what I'm struggling with. And I just remember like kind of stumbling on some. So the way I like got into this like whole community was like first through YouTube. I'll tell you who I'll, I'll even tell you who I watched. There's like these YouTubers, um, the Nameless Narcissist and Spirit mm-hmm. Narc. They're like the two that I was like obsessing over. And I remember I was just like watching their videos nonstop. And I even like at my job like i worked at a warehouse i remember just like having my airpods in and like listening to their videos while i was just getting my work done in the warehouse for a while that and, is uh, um, just a little sneak peek for people who whenever this episode drops but trying to talk to the nameless narcissist soon in a couple of days actually oh hell yeah I, and i think uh, spirit narc as well somebody else from the podcast wants to, wants to chat with her so yeah we definitely want to get them on here it's good to hear that they've also inspired you and been helpful to your own journey. 
Definitely. And me and me and Tessa, Tessa, especially Spirit and Arc, me and her like really connected really well through YouTube and then through Instagram. Like, so that's, so that's where that all started. And like, you know, I watched their videos. I loved them. I made my own, mm-hmm. like inspired me to start talking about my struggles. And then there were people like in, on YouTube that were talking about Reddit and how they like had support on there. And then that was just even more support for me. Just talking in the forums, talking to people that was really helpful for me. Yeah, so that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I think this is another thing that perhaps people, when they think about mental disorders, particularly from a Western uh, oriented kind of diagnosing problems, treating them perspective, is they think that, oh, you have like a mental disorder, you see a psychiatrist, you take some pills, you do this therapy course, you like, how do I work the machine? What inputs do I have to press to get you to heal? And they neglect things that person, a personality disorder bespeaks where you've been in life and how you see the world and how you understand yourself. And you do need to find places where there are people who share your experiences, who can speak the language that you're speaking, who can show you things. It's the same way like you grow up in a family and they teach you how to do things or show you certain possibility. Well, optimistically, those things happen. And you, yeah. so you need something that replicates that. Even helping people, they need communities to help show them things or support them or to give them opportunities. And actually, so, yeah, actually, I mean, that's even what happens with like my music is like, I have that community of people like other musicians, and that's helped me exactly. to learn how to do things in music. So having a community around like my disorders helped me learn tools to manage it, and the language to talk about it and stuff. And that's, it's so true. That's how you learn these things. It, Exactly. And I think there's not only do you need the people who suffer from it in that community, but then as a community, those people can, once they actually understand each other and they see what's happening with one another, then you can branch out even further and be like, okay, how do we talk to the other people outside the community? Like, you got to figure out your own internal language first. And then you can start being like, all right, like, we under, we're all on the same page. What do we got to say to the normies? And that's kind of one of the yeah. things. Well, that's one of the things this pod is hopefully trying to do is the people who are disordered, they can see themselves. Then also anybody else who's like, what the fuck is happening in there? It's like, yeah, like come to the uh-huh. party, listen to somebody talk about it and we'll tell you all you want to yeah. know. Yeah. And um, once again, like I know then we want to talk about here is, is also just like the way that like gender affects me and, and, and the stigma around that too. I mean, there's a lot of stigma towards trans people now, especially in recent years. But again, like right there, like, with the trans community, they, they needed to like come together and have like a language to like describe what they're feeling. And like, that's where you get like terms like gender dysphoria and stuff like that. And like, that's how we're able to like communicate those struggles too <laughs> to the normies. So yeah, you know, all these communities online, they really help people a lot. Well, yeah, that's exactly. And, you know, kind of one of the things tying into your trans identity broadly, you know, you're in America, I think I can say that, and that's not giving away too much. But particularly yeah. in certain places there, they're actually legislating against people being able to do certain uh, aspects of being trans or engaging in the culture. And that is a way of depriving people of being able to find community and develop the words and develop support. So 
that part of your identity being under threat, you can see how the types of things that we're even thinking of doing like right here for personality disorders, uh, when people are trying to legislate against that and tamp down and what that really takes away from people. It is not just your voice, but even your ability to find other people that you can work out how to understand yourself with. And it's so necessary. Getting rid of the communities that people have and, and it's getting like alienating people from their communities and then that, that makes it so they're not able to understand themselves and they're not able to get the support they need and that's so just, yeah it's really sad yeah so although i want to bring up something interesting that you said and it ties in what you were saying about trying to post on your own socials looking for support but interestingly against that backdrop of a lot of cultural and political uh, headwinds that you're fighting against right now uh, in that area, and I think in a lot of other places. But curiously, you've noted that you actually feel like you struggle with some of the stigma of NPD more in your day-to-day -day life or in certain ways yeah. that you actually do with your trans identity, which I think a lot of people, given what we just described, might uh, see as a bit of a head-scratcher. Yes, yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I've always felt like this is like something that surprises people because um <laughs> you, you scared, i mean me. it definitely yes yeah it definitely like scares me when i look at like the legislation and the laws that are like happening and like i mean it scares me enough that like i thought about moving to canada i mean that's huge right but like on this at the same time like that's something that's happening out there in the world it's happening out there um, I live in New York State, so I live in kind of a safe state where, like, in general, like, things are pretty good here, you know? There's definitely, like, like there's no, the laws are good here. There's some bigoted people around, and that's not fun. But in general, with, like, my friend group, my friends are all super, like, understanding of trans issues. And the people in my life, for the most part, are, like, super understanding and supportive. So in my day-to-day -day life, with like my day-to-day -day interactions with other people are they're not really being affected by me being trans as much as they're being affected by me having npd because with npd the stigma makes it so that like i'm not able to really i really struggle to i mean part of npd is like in itself is struggling to be vulnerable with people but like because also there's stigma like i really can't tell people about what i deal with and this is even like my you know, closest friends, like, I, they don't understand what NPD is. They're, like, afraid of it. If I post about that on social media, I don't get the support that I would get if I made a post about being trans on social media. So that's why, like, where in my day-to-day -day life, it's my nearest and dearest friends. Like, <laughs> they understand the trans stuff a lot more than the NPD stuff. And so it feels like the NPD stuff is more, like, off-limits <laughs> to talk yeah, about. Yeah, you know, something that just occurred to me is that there's almost something kind of doubly painful about that because one of the things that I think other people and also myself have noticed when you're trying to define the disorder from the inside out is hiding the self and hiding away your true self and putting mm -hmm. up a false front or not being able to divulge the most deeply. That's usually how you were treated and what caused you to have a lot of the dysfunctional behaviors. But now it's happening again, where now you can't even talk about the thing that made you that way. Like you can't even, can't even talk about yourself to talk about how you were hiding yourself. Like it's, you're getting yeah. further away from being able to be your true self because people are persecuting or stigmatizing the disorder when it's like, 
a disorder is kind of a rough handy map of, you know, here are some of the experiences you've been through that are common to people that describe how you see the world and some of the things you struggle mm-hmm. with. It's, it's kind of a blueprint for uh, understanding yourself. How understanding. You yeah. And then hopefully how to get better. But then you, it, everybody, you know, they hear narcissists and think like Breaking Bad or something like that, like Walter White. Just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <know>. They do. <laughs> and, you know, like, I think they there think are some like, evil person. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there are some disorder people who'd be like, oh, yeah, that's fucking great. Like, yeah, definitely see me like that. And it's, um, no, like, it's a disorder. A disorder means that it makes your life harder, that there are things that don't work, that you don't do appropriately, that impair your life and the people around you. And when people don't see that part, it it's uh, very alienating and marginalizing lot of pain and shame inside and your own misunderstandings into your interactions with other people and you don't even know what other people are doing so it gets even more confusing and more turbulent and there are a lot of skills and a lot of practice that comes with that you can only understand from the perspective of knowing what a authentic genuine connection is that you mm-hmm. have no way of accessing like the skills to repair a relationship to maintain it to anticipate difficulties of what being genuinely calm and grounded and securely loved feels like to be able to tell the difference when you're interacting with people i mean that's why you yeah. have to use supply and external stimuli to tell you what you're feeling or what's going on because you don't really know what it feels like on the inside and if you had those experiences on the inside, uh, you'd be a lot more secure, a lot more grounded. You'd be able to navigate situations more fluidly. And so it's just profoundly difficult for a disordered person actually to make sense of a lot of things that I think people who are more fortunate take for granted. Yeah, definitely. And not being able to talk about what's going on inside, like, yeah, people always want to, like, because the thing is, like, when I tell people about NPD, it's like, I tell them I have it because I want them to be able to understand me and understand what I'm dealing with inside all the time and stuff. But when I tell them about it, it doesn't communicate that way. Like, they just see it as, like, that I'm going to, like, do something bad and manipulative and hurt them. And, like, they're just totally, like, unwilling to, to try and understand it or learn about it because the stigma is so bad. And I think, yeah, the stigma was a lot. If it wasn't as bad, it would be a lot easier for people that struggle with this disorder to, like, talk about it with other people and get the help they need. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of funny when sometimes people are like, oh, you're MPD, you must know how to manipulate people. And it's like, you know, maybe some people who are high-functioning or that's what they learn instead of social interactions. But then there are some people where it's just like, I can't even figure out who I am with introspection and self-reflection. How in the fuck am I supposed to figure you out to manipulate you? And I mean, like, there is that whole range inside the diagnosis of yeah you have people who are malignant or antisocial and who maybe are more capable or maybe instead of having functional social skills they only have a more unsavory or more blunt repertoire of skills but then if you have people who just don't quite go down that malignant route but still suffer from the diagnosis it's just no social interactions are just profoundly difficult for them and I think that's where you see a lot of lashing out or anger or ruptures happen in relationships with disordered people is because they cannot relate what's inside of them to other people. So 
I totally agree. And I think that something that happened to me recently was that I was in a band and my bandmates really didn't understand me and like ended up kicking me out of the band that I was in because the misunderstanding that we had uh, around this kind of thing. So basically the way that it started was, you know, my bandmates, like when my, when my band started out, it was going really well. You know, we were writing songs together. They were like excited about the songs that I was bringing and I was excited about what they were bringing. felt like this band was going to be great. Like everything was going great. But then one day they started to like, they kind of had like, I guess, I guess really the way that it started is like they had a lot of like things that were starting to bug them, but they hadn't really brought it up. And then this one day they kind of brought all of it up at once, which is super triggering to a narcissist. <laughs> like criticism, one criticism is triggering, but when it's a ton of them, it's horrible. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know? uh, that's kind of a difficult thing even for regular people. Some, I mean, you know, nobody likes criticism. And then even on their totally. end, there's a, a bit of a lack perhaps of the skills in terms of being able to give criticism of kind of waiting till everything bottles up, bottles up so. until you explode. And I mean, that's the thing that yeah. I think a lot of disordered people do par excellence. So yeah, it's not a great way I to mean, go. I mean, yeah, I wonder like sometimes if they have some kind of like cluster B disorder themselves. It was definitely toxic on both sides. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, so like they came at me with like all these like criticism, like they didn't like some of the ways, like some of the, how I was playing on certain songs. And then this one was my bandmate, Katie. She said when I was texting during a practice that I was being disrespectful and using that word Ooh. really <laughs> set me yeah. off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, it's, uh, it's kind of like your parent. It's really uh, demeaning and something that you say to a child. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can, I can especially imagine if it's said with a certain cutting tone or something of the sort that it would just be, uh, well, them's fighting words, like it's time to throw down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so one of like my like symptoms with NPD is that when like somebody comes at me with something like that, it's like when somebody like labels me with something that calls me disrespectful, that's how I see myself. I totally like regulate people's perceptions of me you know so like if they say mm -hmm. that i'm smart then i'm like yeah i'm the smartest <laughs> if, they say, <laughs> if they say that uh i didn't know it was that I'm fucking like, yeah i didn't know it was that fucking easy i just had to have people tell me i'm smart shit i've been doing it wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was a big realization <laughs> when i realized that like people telling me things like that like oh you're funny i'm like yeah yeah <laughs> sign you know? me up for the comedy uh, club yeah might as well go out and become a comedian now <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but then so, you know, yeah getting called yeah, yeah the other side of that though is the lows right the other side of it is the lows right so like somebody <laughs> says you're disrespectful you're lazy you're selfish that's all you see yourself as and you know there's more people everybody's multifaceted and like you're not just going to be one thing but that's how you see yourself so when she called me disrespectful i saw myself as like i'm this disrespectful person i'm like terrible and i was super triggered so i started to like hide myself like i started like we're so me and my bandmates were all in this group chat and like, I wouldn't talk in the group chat, really. I 
you know, my, my thing when I get triggered, I have an avoidant attachment style. So my like thing when I get triggered is to avoid people. Mm-hmm. So like in the group chat, like maybe I would like say like one word or like one of their, or maybe like one of the comments that they made. And so it would just be a quick like little response to something that they said, but I wouldn't really like be talking to them. And so things just got more toxic from there because they were like, I think, I don't think that they, I told them that I needed space. Like I did try to communicate a little bit there, but I, I, I really feel like they just took it as like that I like didn't like them or something anymore. So they got mad again and told me like that they were mad that I was avoiding them. They got super mad and I got like, that's, they started like, it was like raging on both sides, really. We started like just raging at each other. And that was when the band just fell apart and we just like couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I've heard before is that when somebody's showing avoidant behavior, the best thing you can do is get angry at them for showing avoidant behavior. And that usually makes them just straight right out. <laughs> they start participating like really well and like things go yeah. smoothly after that. that. Yeah, that's been your yeah, experience. Yeah, once you get yelled at. For... <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely. No. Yeah. <laughs> um... Once yeah. somebody is being avoidant, just so everyone knows. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. so when you want to be soft, for sure. You don't want to, like, yell at them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, you know, it's sort of, this is one of those cases where, like, you know what you bring to it in your patterns and your behaviors. But clearly, uh-huh. they left a lot to be desired as well. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. The fact that, so, like, going back to my original point is, like, I think that this could have gone a lot better if I was able to talk to them about exactly what was going on with me and exactly mm-hmm. like the fact that I have NPD and I'm and like these kind of things. But like they were not, they didn't seem like they would be understanding of that because they were like the people that would be on social media and post memes about like narcissists are evil abusers and stuff like that. So it didn't feel safe to tell them. You yeah. Know? Probably for good reason. And I think something that's also very important that you just mentioned there, a lot of times when there's interactions and things go poorly, people immediately want to be like, who's blameworthy? Who's the asshole? Like, get out the pitchforks. Whose head are we taking? Or whose scalp are we collecting? And it doesn't have to quite be that way because the thing that you're saying there is a part of what is causing the problems is the disconnection of you not being able to put out all the moving parts of what's happening inside of you for them and them do the same thing. When you have those deeper connections and you really understand people, problems are going to happen anyways, but at least you know what's happening and you can try to match things up and do your repair. But then when you're trying to navigate anger and times when people are already upset and not seeing eye to eye and there's just things you don't know about each other and there are things that are contributing to the strains but they can't be put out there it's just a natural recipe for disaster and for things to kind of blow up and that is not nobody being at fault or anything like that it's just when you are not able to be yourself when you avoid intimacy and authenticity Mm -hmm. it naturally leads to anger and frustration because there are things going wrong and you can't even say it you can't even touch it you're you feel disempowered and 
voiceless and you use the anger as the way to make yourself heard when you can't just say it and have it be received well. Yep. Yep. That's one of my like things is like I, part of my like NPDs that I always hide what I'm feeling until I blow up like that. So that's when people like are finally able to, to tell what I'm feeling, but like that's where it's like, that's the struggle I have. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, again, so, yeah. <laughs> just to put this out there. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like the struggle I have is like, it, what, what would make it easier is like, if I could communicate my feelings along the way as things are happening, rather than waiting for it to get to like a level of just blowing up on people. Absolutely. And I think that's something where people who, so there are two tracks to this. One is that people who have had the practice of being able to cultivate skills to be able to communicate. So it's, they can facilitate things. And again, this is an instance where a disorder makes your life harder. So make you a super evil Mm -hmm. genius. It's, I, you know, you don't have these skills to be able to navigate some of those thorny issues and keep your composure. But then there's another aspect to this or track, which is the vulnerability you have of having inner experiences that aren't reflected in society. You don't see ways to express yourself as being NPD and the trauma that you've had and the coping mechanisms as being acceptable Mm -hmm. to say to people. And it's kind of akin to your trans identity, which thankfully you, that's not something you find is difficult with some of these same people. But nonetheless, it's kind of that same track of, well, in this case, this isn't actually quite on you. This is a societal, cultural thing of Uh you're naturally leaning into what is already a part of the disorder of not being able to figure out who you are or see it reflected in other people and making it worse by saying you absolutely cannot talk about it, like we're going to demonize it instead. And so you're pushing it down even further. And these are some of the practical results that come about it. And this isn't your fault as being a disordered person. This is, you're the one who's fighting uphill just to have yourself seen. And that's a benefit that if you are somebody who is more, what's the neurotypical thing? There's the word. Or have had experiences that haven't been as traumatic. You don't have <laughs> really call them normies. But yeah, yeah. Norm, normies, the, the less kind way of putting it. But yeah, you know, it, this is something we, you don't even have to worry about. It. You don't have to do the difficult cold switching of trying to figure out, can I say this with them? Can I not say this with them? Will it be safe? Will it be received well? And just yeah. that that's a delicate balancing act, and it's easy to slip and fall off the wire, isn't it? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And with, like... Yeah, because like like I already struggle with being vulnerable. I'm being open with my feelings, and then so when you have the stigma added on top of it, it just makes it even harder. You know, it's just another level of challenge there. And I guess it's just been like a pattern my whole life is just that like it's like been hard for me to like share my feelings with people, and it's caused a lot of problems. And I, you know, this is like something that happened to me recently was I was reading my journal and looking back on like the past couple of years. And seeing this, just kind of saw this pattern of like a lot of these relationships, these like friendships that I had, you know, they come together, they're going really well. I'm like maybe like idealizing them in the beginning. And then so there's like communication difficulties and I see them fall apart. And it's just like really tragic to like have this pattern happen in my life of just like these relationships keep collapsing, you know? 
Well, you know, you yeah, solve yeah. that pattern. You got to burn those damn journals and hide the evidence. Just, you know, you can't <laughs> see it, 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 it didn't happen. That's... They got to hide the evidence and then blame it all on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all their fault. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, you kind of you kind of read my mind here. I was going to, you know, transition this into the, you know, the patterns in your personal life of, you know, the same instance that you just mentioned with these bandmates. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think this is another thing where people are like, you know, this person love bombed me and then like they turn into an asshole and everything. And, you know, some, some people intentionally love bomb, like absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. But some don't, for some people it's genuinely, you define yourself from the outside. So something feels really good. So you feel like it is the best and it's the only, and you're just over the moon. But then yeah. that kind of intensity of emotion comes from a place of insecurity of not knowing inside what it really feels like when you have something deep and enduring and how to maintain it. And so when you come across a difficulty, you have no fucking idea how to deal with it. And you don't know how you even got there from this super high feeling. And it just naturally starts to collapse. And then you start feeling bad and you don't know what to say to the other person. And eventually you kind of just fuck off because you don't know how to repair the situation. It's just, you know, it's like unmanageable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's if you're like not technologically inclined and somebody just like dismantled your computer in front of you and said, here you go, like put it back together. And you just be like, fuck, do I know where to start? Like, it's just not something that's in your toolkit. And so for somebody who's disordered, that kind of natural love bombing, devaluation, discard sequence, just completely unintentional, unawares, but you can just naturally follow that pattern because, again, that ability to see longer term, see outside of the present moment or the current stimulation and have a sense of self that is more expansive and able to take in more perspectives, that's something that you haven't been able to do, mostly because you can't be your real self in a lot of ways and haven't been for a long time. And it's be knowing your own history and being really deeply grounded and rooted that you can then extrapolate like this is how other people go okay this is what other people need this is how i make this go well over time when you haven't been able to do that yeah. well how are you possibly supposed to navigate these conflicts that arise yeah i mean so yeah like two things is like one i think that's like where i think that's where having a journal definitely like helps me too where right. like being able to like zoom out and like look at the patterns as they happened and like because i'm able to like because also with like black and white thinking like idealizing and valuing people like you see them as all good or all bad and you can't really see the other side of them but when you read your old journals you can actually see how you were thinking about them at a different time that's really one of the other interesting things i noticed when i was looking at my old journal entries you know like people that i've yeah. devalued and discarded like i look back and like see the times when I really liked them in the beginning of the relationship. So like all these things, like they all happen naturally. It's like, I, I, um, I, I don't love bomb people intentionally, you know, it's like I start the band. So like when this band started, it was like, everything seemed like it was, I just like my natural reaction, my natural thing with NPD is like, I idealize the situation. I, I'm like, this is the best band ever. Like it, it really feels like that to me too. It feels like this is the band that's gonna like take on the world. We're gonna be famous. We're gonna be awesome, <laughs> you know. And then things start to go wrong, and that's it's not. I you know that's when I'm the devaluation, which is the black 
thinking of the black and white thinking, that's when the evaluation kicks in. And then I see the band is like, you know, really bad. And I start like panicking. And, and when things got bad enough, I, you know, ended up like being done with the band because I didn't know how else to deal with it. Like there was so much conflict that the discard is like just the natural response to when you're, when you're just like triggered so much, <laughs> so no. much conflict. Like, you want to like push it away. You just want to get it out of your life, you know? And, yeah. I mean, you're triggering yeah. yourself and so are the other people. And like, you can't even soothe yourself. So it's like, how are you supposed to try to reach out to them and repair them? Right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's it. So my only yeah. way to feel better is to like completely push them away and just have them and just be on my own. And, like not have them in my life for anything or just not be in the band anymore, you know? Yeah. So I Two things about journals, one which is a funny remark. So hopefully the person who said this doesn't mind. I'm not gonna attach names or anything, but somebody I know who is on the more malignant end, I would say. And so I think they're very, they have journals and again, the same problems with identity so that, and memory. So they need these journals to kind of remember where they've been before, who they've been and other people. But yeah. then because of the paranoia of people potentially reading their journals, they bury them. And so they're talking about like where they are right now. They have like caches or dead drops of journals and just like going and digging them out like a squirrel when they want to read them again. And it's just <laughs> the fucking. Oh, wow. So like they just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's utterly hilarious to me. That is um, hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so I recommend this to all the listeners. Uh, you know, you should do the same. <laughs> yeah, like a stockpile of journals. Discard your journals. Just like people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then a more serious question i guess for you and then i want to move to the romantic like uh, hiding yourself in these personal relationships but i guess the yeah. question i want to ask about the journals was did having looking back at your journals and being able to see these different sides of people did that ever help you in integrating into seeing people as a more wholesome balanced great picture as opposed to just the sharp extremes yeah yeah definitely it's like that's that's one of the ways that that's one of the ways that I personally have been able to like kind of like step outside of the black and white thinking and be able to see both sides of a person is reading what I said about them at different points in my life. So any, any of you cluster bees out there, that's good advice, <laughs> I think, actually, you know, <laughs> it's like have a journal where you're like, and like, you know, write what you're feeling in like each of the moments, like when you're like, idealizing or devaluing someone because you can look back at it later and then you can see someone as whole maybe that would like help me with myself too just thinking about this like maybe it helped me see like the good and bad sides of myself uh, yeah. rather than like collapsing like maybe when i'm collapsed like it would help if i have written good things about myself that i could read later or something i don't know something like that you know yeah, I think that sounds like a great idea. And yeah. I mean, even healthy people, I know that my partner, for example, they keep mementos of things that people have said or done that are meaningful, like letters or gifts. And so to have those things where if you're really down in the dumps, you can look at them. And I think that's 
a much healthier way than trying to find a new supplier or fix or trying to you know fix yourself with somebody's attention <laughs> or, or <laughs> been doing so far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. or, or you know alcohol or doing things that are impulsive and risky like things that are yes. meaningful or connected or just remembering yourself from another perspective those are practical things that people who are healthier optimistically are capable of doing to be able to think outside the moment and another so that's the example of what to do if you're in collapse and trying to get out of it and then from the flip side something that i say to people is to have a budget in your self-esteem for problems or to anticipate difficulties so it's like when you're feeling yeah. grandiose and you're above the world and like this relationship yeah. this person this band like it's gonna go well it's gonna be amazing and just to calm yourself down and be like okay like there are going to be tensions just flat out like dumb. it's gonna happen that way you're prepared for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I, you, yeah. I, I can enjoy the experience and see where it goes and I'm open, but how am I going to, like, what proactive communication do I need to do? Do I need to share about myself to make sure this goes well? When somebody, when I can see signs of a tension or a strain, how am I going to deal with that? How am I going to listen to what other people are saying? And so in that way, when you're even when you're feeling grandiose, you can maybe hopefully kind of level yourself out of not bum yourself out, but just ground yourself and say, you know, yeah. there are, that way you're not be, blindsided, like, when things yeah. go wrong, kind of. Um, yeah, yeah, that's good advice, actually. Because like, I think that's, it, it can make me be prepared for when things start to go wrong. And like and also communicate what i need to communicate to people like be aware to do that one thing i like definitely hurt with this band was like how they were delivering their criticism to me so like something in the future that i could do is like when i'm like in a new relationship or friendship or something is like let them know beforehand that i need criticism like delivered in like a soft way or delivered with like at least a compliment or some reassurance or something that way I can handle it better and not get triggered like that. Um, yeah. And I can't see, yeah, and if I'm idealizing somebody, then I wouldn't think to, to say that because I think they're perfect and they're not gonna Exactly. Like <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, and you know, yeah. it's funny. I've said this to a partner at the moment and you know, people get this wrong sometimes. Uh, like, yeah, love should feel good being with people who are a positive influence on you. But sometimes the most loving thing you can do for people is to be honest about the painful or shameful or difficult things. Because if you can't with the people you love, who the fuck are you going to? And that's one of those things where yeah. that can then blindside people when they don't know how to incorporate that side into the, just the positive experience that, you know, that's the love bombing or the idealization and everything's great. And then the difficulties spring up and you're just completely unprepared. And I guess one of the things that I'll share is one of the things that I do myself is uh, I write down and I have kind of a little journal of some of my partner's criticisms and complaints uh -huh. because uh -huh. if she, they just verbalize them to me, sometimes I'll be dismissive or I will register it but then not pay attention. And part of that also has to do with my upbringing of just like brushing it off. And so for writing it down for me, both makes it more real for me than just hearing it. And then I can also mm -hmm. look over it later and see kind of what some of the common things are. And it's usually about small things. So it's it's hard. You it's can not see like, like your patterns. 
Yeah, I can, yeah. I can see my patterns and it's also because they're small things. It's like you wouldn't usually like think about it again necessarily. It's not like you get a big lesson uh -huh. out of it and you've learned it. So this, oh, okay. is, this is one of those things that I try to do to be more attentive to the things that uniquely bother my partner and a way of me trying to oh. learn better. And it's you know one of those things where people might be like, you know, what's a loving thing that you can do for your partner? I keep a complaint journal. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, uh, <laughs> 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 I love it though. <laughs> it helps well, you realize what is bothering them and then you're able to remember what bothered them in that way you can constantly like be like aware of it in yourself when you're starting to do it or something yeah and then it, change it yeah it helps me be more aware of it practically day to day when i wouldn't think about it and so you know again yeah. like some people are like you know i gotta buy them flowers or i gotta do this or it's like you know sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to show that <laughs> you're you're willing to pay <laughs> right, exactly. uh, i got i got trademark that before one of these ratchet motherfuckers from the forum steals it but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean you know again like that's a skill for secure relationships is showing that you're willing to be present even when there's difficulty or that you can say things that'll be unpleasant or tense and still sustain the connection because there is no connection that you can have if you're not able to do that if you're not able to have those moments pop up and find a way to navigate them mm -hmm. yeah yeah and, um, and i think that that journal would also help with like the times when you're like idealizing somebody because then you're not gonna like think about the bad anything bad in the relationship you know yeah exactly and you're like you know you read the journal and you're just like oh yeah right like they really yes, hate I it when I, do, when I don't change yeah. the fucking toilet paper like yeah, it's been yeah. seventh time this month and it's just like yeah exactly like it brings you back down a little bit but yeah i think there's yeah. a good transition part here from authentically being yourself and showing up and hearing what your partner's saying and internalizing it to some of the things I think you've struggled with in romantic relationships, which is your identity is as both trans and NPD. And then trying to have a relationship with somebody is trying to connect in a relationship with other people intimately and authentically, but then at times having to hide one or both of those parts of yourself. And so you're trying to be intimate and be close to people but you can't be you yeah yes and so especially you know in the past like when i was like in romantic relationships in my teens and my 20s you know before i like i came out when i was 27 as a trans girl trans <laughs> woman until that point though in my relationships i felt like i couldn't be like truly who i am with people there was always this one one aspect about me this one big secret that i couldn't tell them about so i never really could be intimate and connect with them and i guess i'll, I'll talk about like where it all started the trauma that started it really yeah um, but you know i kind of before we get there i just kind of want to fasten yeah. onto this point because again yeah. talking about like who's blameworthy or how these interactions go is like relationships function best when you kind of got all the pieces on the table, like your pieces and the other person's pieces, and you're trying to fit them all together, like make something out of it, like make it work, make it mesh. Mm -hmm. But then when you have 
trauma or you have identities that aren't respected or you're insecure about or you have to hide yourself, which is one of the core components, I think, of narcissism is hiding the true self due to shame in your upbringing. Then you come to other people and you're keeping those pieces off the table and you're trying to make something work and it's just that much harder you have less flexibility or when things go like something is affecting the relationship and the other person can't even see it because you haven't disclosed it and even just the whole practice of being open and easy and intimate you're already living a lie so to speak by not being able to get your experiences out there and so you you're building on a rickety foundation or it's kind of doomed in a certain sense from the start. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's, it's, it's never like a real true connection with the other person, you know, and that's how it was with all my relationships until I could finally come out as trans. And so that's, that's why it's like, it's just really terrible how much, how much we're like stigmatizing and like, you know, passing all these laws to like prevent people from, being themselves and like being able to transition and stuff like that because it's like keeping them locked in that place where they can't be who they really are and show up as they really are in their relationships and stuff it's going to affect a lot of people well yeah there's a good branching out point there as well where people you know they demonize npd saying you know they're the big bad evil but then it's like you have laws like this like anti-trans laws being passed in various places in the states and all it's doing is causing people to hide who they are and that is a way of creating narcissists or creating people with a with npc and other disorders is by (laughs) literally legislating that you that you can't show yourself and so people when people think of like people think about like you're the one who's like doing the things but then you have this culture or social milieu where you are actually shaping people in a narcissistic direction and i mean that's amongst many other kind of features or trends we have in modern societies but i think that's maybe a way to humanize it for some people of even when you're raising your own kids or you're trying to facilitate interactions with other people the more you can allow people to feel safe to open up and authentically be themselves the more you're potentially allowing them to avoid some of those pressures that cause people to develop disorders and not be their fullest self and you're doing a lot of work to undo some of the damage when you can facilitate that for people. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, for me, like the, the big, like this all like really like started kind of like when I was eight years old, this was like really the beginning of me like hiding things. You know, I have a lot of memories going all the way back to the beginning of my childhood of moments where I was like, something's up with my gender you know i feel like something's going on here i'm i feel like i'm a girl and i feel like um, it's just something is wrong here um like one of my first memories is like i was like four years old i'm at my friend katie's birthday party i just like wandered off from the party went to the bathroom and then i like looked in my friend katie's room and she had this like really girly girl room and i was like wishing that I could, that I could have a room like that, you know, and I knew something was up there now. And then um, there's a lot of these other like random memories like that. And I guess just one of the things I want to say that I love about that, yeah. and this is before, you know, you could be diagnosed as narcissistic, is that you have a strong sense of certain parts of yourself, like a strong sense of your gender identity, and you knew it yep. even back that far. And uh, I 
one of the questions I was really interested in, in talking to you about is that narcissism is usually a problem of knowing your own identity and being defined from the outside. And then here you are being like, this was just me right from the get go, just like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, so that's, it's fascinating then how we get from that kind of bedrock certainty in a part of yourself to then a diagnosis that comes with hiding the self and being un insecure about your authentic self. And I think that's mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> right about where you're going to go, right? Yes, that is. <laughs> yeah. So basically, when I was eight years old, you know, I have all these other like random memories, like around the early childhood times. But when I was eight years old, there was a moment where I was like, I want to like tell people what's going on with me. So I remember that at the time it was like, I was eight in like 97. So like, there was like, the Hercules movie had just come out. And there was all these like Hercules, Hercules movie hype. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen it, go watch it. <laughs> Good movie. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they had all these like plates based on all the characters they were going out at McDonald's. And there was one that had Pegasus on it, and it was like really like feminine looking. And I was like, this is like my opportunity, you know, like I could, my, my dad's going to take me to McDonald's today to eat. I'm going to show, I'm going to tell him that I want to get this plate and it's going to be my like jumping off point to like come out to him and say that I feel like a girl basically. That's so, like really beautiful that you had a plan and kind of like, you know, you're ready. I mean, it's actually kind of funny that NPD, you talk about how much you struggle with emotions and whatnot right now, but you had a plan and you'd thought it out and you knew what you wanted to say and how to broach it with him. It's actually very emotionally competent. It's you had this yeah, skill. And then like until almost, this point, I was like, had yeah. my, I really had it together, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and then, so we go to the McDonald's and we see all like, then uh, I tell him, yeah, I want to get that Pegasus plate, that really feminine one. And he said, they don't have it. And he got me this, other plate that had Hercules like flexing his muscles like really like masculine looking plate and so yep um, I can I can it, see like, it in my mind's eye pretty masculine yep yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> so he, he brought out that one and I was like oh this sucks was my first reaction but then then as we're leaving the restaurant we walk by like the counter and I see that they have the Pegasus place there so I recognized there that he lied to me about it. And I was really, really hurt. And I realized in that moment, I realized that being myself, you know, being a trans girl was not okay, was not like acceptable. So I have to hide this about myself. And I also was like, really just this like, you know, I'm a kid and I'm like traumatized that my dad had just lied to me and I'm like hurt and I'm, and because of that pain, I'm like, well, if he gets to like lie about things, then I'm just going to start doing it too. Like I, I give up. He got away with that. I'm going to do that too now, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm not mm -hmm. reacting as much right now because I already heard this the first time around, but I mean, still yeah. second time <laughs> around, super fucked up. I, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that shatters kind of your childhood delusions and idealizations of people being fair and the world being safe. And just your dad being somebody who you could rely upon or being emotionally, psychologically safe. 
So yep. from that point onwards, he's kind of now an insecure attachment or a figure who you have to be ambivalent about. And then of course, just it's mm -hmm. excruciating. You worked up the courage to do this thing. And in a sense, it, he certainly has seemed to know whether what you're about to say or that you felt this way and he was trying to you know, make a man out of you. Yeah, and like smash it down. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Try to stamp it out. And mm -hmm. all it did was teach you to hide yourself and have a lot more dysfunctional of a life route to finding yourself again than you would have had otherwise. Exactly. Yep. Taught me how it taught me that I had to hide my feelings and taught me that it's safer. It's actually just it's safer to lie, I guess, than it is to John. And that's what I. And that became the way that I navigated through the world and navigated through my relationships from that point on, you know, and that was the beginning of the NPD right there. Yeah. And I mean, that's actually a fascinating thing to bring up there that you were learning to lie and that it was acceptable. So, you know, sometimes people, they wonder, like, how do I get them to stop lying? Like, why do they lie to me? Like, don't they know that this isn't okay? Like, why does she do that? And it's just, you know, you're a rando coming into somebody's life and like, you know, you're a friend or you're trying to start up a relationship or whatever. And you have these things that are deep seated in the past from experiences like this. And to think yeah. that you're going to be able to just come in and just be like, well, you know, you shouldn't lie. It's bad. Or like, if you lie, I'm going to leave. Or, and then that's going to stop it. Yeah, like that's going <laughs> to It's just like, oh. That's going to undo <laughs> trauma that I've had since the 90s. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, this, this, this is one of those things where I think that for people who are newer typical or <laughs> as we may call them, or, you know, people yeah. who, like, you're the one who has unrealistic expectations. If you think that, you know, uh -huh. just like your love and attention and just like telling somebody something and that's going to make it all better. Just like, absolutely fucking not. It's like, you can help. You can mm -hmm. try to approach somebody in a better way and be understanding and compassionate and set boundaries because you need to when somebody's at a point in their life when they're not ready to go to those places. But mm -hmm. to think that you can just kind of easily snap somebody out of it or that you're, you really have agency over the way this person chooses to show up in your relationship, it's not fucking about you. So yeah. that, I think this is... You know, when people call disordered people like really bad or moral or like they do things and they try to like point the finger at like behaviors like this and say, you know, well, that's the thing. And it's when you give the backdrop to it, it's how could you possibly do anything differently than what you were forced to do by the people who are supposed to love you the most? Yes. Yeah. It's like it, it was my way of survival at the time. I mean, now you know, it's something I'm working on changing, but it's not something I'm going to change overnight. It's something I have to like constantly keep working to like do because I, I've grown up this way, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's one of those things where like, if you try to deprive somebody of that, those tools or those ways of interacting before they're ready, it's like taking their skin off. It's exposing them to the world. And I'm just not only, yeah. I guess, uh, one of the other core components of, right out of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one of the other core components of narcissism, I think, is that inner core of shame or worthlessness or trauma or bad affect and trying to hide mm -hmm. it and bury it. And when you're trying to expose a narcissist or you're trying to, <laughs> you know, 
do some other stupid shit or trying to bring somebody to awareness or trying to call out the behaviors, you're trying to bring them back to that place that created it. You're asking them to undo all the decisions. Yeah, so go right back to their trauma. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Who wants that? <laughs> yeah. and, and also all the decisions you've made because of that trauma, like you're invalidating those times mm -hmm. when you've had to lie and you've had to hide yourself in relationships because you didn't feel it would be safe to say to people, I have this history of trauma or I have this identity of being trans that I have never been able to come out with. When you're with people and you have to lie as a way to get past those situations, and then somebody just comes up to you and says, well, lying's bad and that makes you a bad person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's yeah. like, yeah, like, you know, uh, to put it gently, it's going to make you a little mad. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like it's making people face their trauma directly. And, uh, you know, your the expectation is that they're going to change something they've been doing their whole life tonight. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and it's just not realistic. Yeah, and it's also if you're somebody who's more lucky and privileged that they have their identities reflected in society and their peers more broadly, you just have no idea what it's like to have to carry inside things that are so painful that you think that if you put them out there, well, not only are they painful, but then other people are going to be alienated, put off by it, or it might overwhelm them or it might evoke disgust out of them. And, yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of shame in like, being trans and in hiding that, I mean, that was definitely something I faced a lot when I was growing up. It's like, I, you know, because like, especially you watch movies, you see like the ways that like trans people are depicted in movies, it's like making fun of it and stuff. Right. You're watching these things and you're like, this is how people are going to see me if I'm honest about this. And so I'm afraid to like be honest about it because it's like, I don't want them to to not like me and be disgusted by me and you know and like if i'm in a relationship i'm like thinking like okay if i come out with this like they're probably gonna dump me and they're gonna be like you know yeah or like i'm worried about like with friends that they're gonna make fun of me and stuff like that so yeah and i mean it's just if you're not somebody who's kind of had to think about that before i mean it's just just being persecuted just for being yourself it's yeah, and so one of the other interesting things I was thinking about in terms of you already have internalized from seeing in your environment and your peers and media the persecution and disgust for something that you feel is very natural, and we can come back to your father now. Now, all right, don't lie yeah. to your kid. Don't lie to your kids, people, because <laughs> you know they're they're going to do the same and try to be more open mm -hmm. and accept. Well, be open and accepting of their feelings. But on the other hand, you know, we were kind of talking about this. I can also see the bind that your father was in because you have to remember that you we're talking about your deep memories right now from the 90s as yeah. a kid and how they've shaped the whole trajectory of your life. And then mm -hmm. for your father, it's the same thing. He has to go back to his memories as a kid and his peers and media that he consumed to understand the, the world and, yeah, <laughs> in the seventies. And so, <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a episode on parenting that's about to drop. So I talked about some of this already, but he has to now manage mm -hmm. his own vulnerability and insecurities and gender issues and navigating the world around him and yours. 
and he has to draw on this entirely different repertoire of experiences. And I can just already already see how that's difficult for somebody who's even well-adjusted and relatively emotionally open in the 90s. And then if you add on top of it, somebody who's maybe insecure or hasn't isn't really good with talking about emotions or maybe is disordered themselves. It's just mm -hmm. a place that they're completely incapable of following to. I mean, especially if they're say narcissistic and the idea of yeah. learning from their child or holding open space for their emotions is just under absolutely no fucking circumstances. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's been like a big thing for me. It's like, I think recognizing that he probably had a lot of, struggles with seeing this back in the days when it was really just not accepted at all to be trans like it was probably frightening to him to see his kid like this so it's like that's helped me have like a little bit of forgiveness and, and like maybe more understanding of him but his way it i mean this doesn't i'm saying this but it doesn't excuse like him lying and like his way of dealing with not I, it doesn't excuse what he, you know, the fact that he lied to me, you know, in order to deal with his discomfort, you know, mm. I think like he probably could be like a little bit NPD himself, you know, and I think like my point is, is like, I think that, you know, people need to, to no matter what's going on, like you need to like talk to your kids and not like not go to these places of like lying to them because you can really traumatize them and really mess them up when you do, you know? Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's interesting because one of the things that I try to do is see the adults and children and children and adults. And it's funny that what you described is that you were really kind of the emotionally competent one and you're also open and you had no preconceived notions. You know, kids are relatively open. I, I've heard people before say, you know, don't talk about gender things. It'll confuse the kids. And it's just like, no, you're confused. Fuck off. Like a kid will accept basically yeah, anything. Yeah. You, a kid will accept anything that you tell them. And really when you teach people yeah. when they're young, like they will just take it as a matter of course. It's one of the reasons why when you want to indoctrinate people, fucking indoctrinate them as kids, which is why they have right, all those right. laws happening right now. Um, right, right. But yeah, it's really, it's your own discomfort and vulnerability that you have to manage and trying to have that connection to the child and being vulnerable and open enough yourself to let them come out with their deepest selves and really like kids they have ideas of the world and of themselves like there are there's a limited pool of knowledge and limited things they see but then in terms of emotions it's almost kids can almost have a greater grasp of emotions than some adults can because they simply haven't closed certain paths off but they haven't been traumatized out of being in touch with their own deepest true selves so there oh, are yeah, times when 100 the case for me i think <laughs> i think a little eight-year-old me was more emotionally intelligent than i am now <laughs> yeah eight eight-year-old you sounds fucking rad like let's get that back <laughs> yeah and so i mean this is actually kind of funny too where people like to think about progress as always being a single arrow direction forward. People don't see the mm -hmm. ways that we go backwards or in circles or loops or get really damned up and then have to break through a certain point of difficulty. And so this is just one of those examples where, yeah, it, it isn't that 
as a child, like you're always getting more emotionally mature and, you know, people like you can study psychology, they have all these phases. But then when you're disordered, it's somebody can hold you back or they can even set you back from where you were. And it's like in yep. some aspects, you're trying to both get back to that place and actually get back to that peak that you were already at. And the best thing that people could have done for you right there was to let you keep going with who you are. And that's what they stamped down upon, tried to push away. And then that just leads to you hiding yourself and being emotionally dysregulated for a hell of a mm -hmm. long time. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it started all the patterns. And yeah, so my life has just been all about like kind of getting back to that place that I was at when I was younger, when I really was able to like really be really like in, you know, in tune with my emotions and, 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 and being like natural like that. And I think like, you know, I think like it's really cool to be, it's really cool that sometimes like you can find like a lot of this like random inspiration in like really random places. And I guess like something that's really like, that really did help me to like finally like start coming out and like being like myself was like, finding like musicians that were like trans and like seeing them talk about their experiences and like that kind of like helping me like feel comfortable with myself and coming out and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely want to mind that a little more. And I mean, there's so many points here about empowerment through seeing yourself reflected in society and media and teaching you about what's acceptable and how to do it. And yeah, you have to get lucky sometimes to be able to find the places or spaces or forums or people who are able to hold open space or show you ways of navigating or being able to dialogue with you about things. And I think that's one of my intuitions about the disorder. It's hard to treat from a Western medical perspective of people saying, well, here's the diagnostic manual and here's the person, like a, the brain's like a little computer and we have to come up with a rigorous set of protocols of like, what are the things and the we got to say to them, the drugs we got to give them to get them functional again. And from talking with you right now and how this originated with you, there isn't necessarily a systematic or rigorous way to go about this and even being in this place right now where you can speak openly you've needed some of the experiences like you're just about to say of hearing music or seeing parts of your own identity reflected in other people and being like holy shit i can do that like that's acceptable that's okay yeah yeah absolutely yeah and that's happened with both things you know I remember I, I I mentioned this in the beginning of the podcast though, like seeing like YouTubers talk about their experiences with NPD really helped me feel seen and feel like I can relate to these people and their experiences and that felt really validating and really good. It's the same thing with my trans identity is like I kind of, you know, I was like listening to a lot of music and there was like this singer named Large and Grace who like came out as trans for me like all like video and stuff about it and like you know watching her talk about it and hearing her experiences really like helped me to like feel like this is somebody else is feeling this way too and it's safe to come out and it's a valid experience to have and it really helps me and so having 
having like community and having role models and people to, to guide you is just like so helpful, you know? Yeah, and I was just thinking that it's kind of ironic that we started with community and we end up back at community. It's kind of the same way where you oh. started out emotionally competent and you're trying to get back to being emotionally competent. There really is uh, sometimes a circularity in how things go of that's a do this. Totally accidental, I assure you. Just when, <laughs> when I, don't, I don't have too many of those up my sleeve. But yeah, it's... You, you sometimes have to go on these incredible voyages just to get back to the place you were at in the first place, but with, more, that, yeah. but with more understanding and maybe a couple of dings and tears, but a lot more perspective and a lot more depth. And so, yeah, I think that's probably a good place for us to wrap up because I am never going to say anything. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you could find a better place to wrap it up. No. <laughs> they, call, they call that quitting while you're ahead, folks. So that's, yeah. that's what we're going to do right now. But I would like to thank you, yeah. NPD April. So, you know, make sure yes. to go check her stuff. Got to keep those plugs going. Yes, um, keep <laughs> check me out, uh, NPD April, on Instagram and YouTube. <laughs> yeah, and... But I mean, thank you as well for providing these experiences of yours for me to bounce off of and to develop my own thoughts. This is something that I do a lot on the forums. I take other people's experiences as launching points for me to know how to connect or what people want to hear or what to write. And so it's not just good for you know the other person to be able to kind of have a safe space for them to put things out there and have it received, but I love to learn and hear and to let other people influence me and be able to kind of work through their experience. And so this has been really yeah, cool I think for me. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, one, one quick thing I want to say is like, I do think that this will like help a lot of people understand NPD and trans people more. And I also think like you helped, you totally like helped me like talking about like journaling and like keeping a complaint journal like i think you actually like, gave me some therapy there that like, i'm gonna take with me so thank you for uh, that yeah. yeah uh keep a complaint journal and bury them like squirrels okay never mind i'm never gonna top that all right folks we're signing the fuck off uh, yes. well, at the height of glory but yes. thanks for showing up thanks to everybody thank listening you. to this and we hope that this is useful to other people out there in some way on their journeys <laughs> yeah. All That's right. Great. Perfect. Thanks for showing up. And you. we'll see yeah. you again soon, maybe, hopefully. It sounds great. Yeah, I'd love to come on again. <laughs> All right. Take care, Goodbye. April. Goodbye. The makers of PD Raw accept and embrace our guests and respect their honesty. Please be aware that understanding the hurt that makes people want to act out is not the same as condoning destructive behaviours. In fact, we hope that this podcast will contribute to helping people overcome negative and harmful patterns in themselves and in others. PD Raw is a project run by unpaid volunteers. We would love some help with paying for the podcast app. If you would like to donate just a small amount towards the cost, please click on the small globe icon in the top right of the podcast homepage. Thank you.